Hello and welcome to another episode of On The Topic. Uh, this week I'm grabbing my crusty old wired controller. I'm Alex. And I'm pulling out the Spectrum, putting the cassette tape in and waiting 30 minutes for it to load. I am Dan. And this week we've got another Vault episode, Dan, haven't we? We're going all the way back to, what date was it? Do we know? Uh, we are going all the way back to, here we go, 21st of October 2018. There you go. This is an oldie, but it's, it's a good one. It's a simpler time. Um, we haven't been doing it long, only, what, five months or so? Yeah. We had a bit of a short break. Well, technically speaking, we're on a short break now. Technically speaking. Technically. Yeah. Um, but it's a really good episode, and I think a lot of people kind of wanted this. I, I, I seem to remember we had some polls out on social media. Mm. And it's back on the um, the weekly roundup days, and that week we were doing retro gaming. And, you know, it's, it's something I don't really have an awful lot of time for. It's that old age kind of thing, isn't it, Dan? Like, you have, you have a little bit more money these days. Not much, but have a little bit more money to be able to buy these things, but no time. No. Whereas when you're younger, you've got all the time in the world, but no money. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder where the, the crossover was, where you had the money and the time. I don't Ooh, know if I've ever had that. I think I would have been late teens. Right. Probably. It's like like the people say, you know, like, you would have realised it, but there, there was a last day that you went playing with your friends in the woods. Mm. Or did this activity, or you know, the last time we'd ever do A, B, and C. There was a time where we had that freedom, and we didn't really appreciate it until it was too late. To be young again. I know, but we're not lamenting what we haven't got now. We'll talk about what we did have, and what we sometimes get to do now. But actually, it's more retro gaming, and I think retro gaming's had more of a, um, a resurgence in the last couple of years. Down, there's lots of remasters, especially interesting enough. I think since COVID, there's been lots of um, remasters. Perhaps people haven't mm. been able to afford to to bring in voice actors or do new IP. They bring back some of the old stuff. Yeah, you know, Need for Speed, um, Final Fantasy. Yes. Um, Look at PlayStation. They're they're doing all of their original, you know, Naughty Dog and Insomniac back catalogue and remastering them for modern. The Spider Man's, The Last of mm. Us is the uh, the Uncharted's. They're not new. They've been out for ten years plus, but yet they're going back to the old ones because the old games are great. Does nostalgia hit the same though? I mean, I picked up Tony Hawk's one and two. Seems like a trick question. Must have been back in 2021. Because it was sort of like just coming up to... I don't know, we were sort of just coming out of COVID periods. But I yeah. need something to play and... Didn't quite hit the same... Yeah, I know what you mean. ...levels of enjoyment that I got when I was playing it when I was 15 years old. Yeah. Music was great. Don't get me wrong, that took me back to a simpler time. But the game itself just... Yeah, it's not aged well. No. And I've had similar, you know, when I've played like... um on um, Xbox they've got the rare catalogue and you've got all of the old games oh, on there they are good and they are good but you don't half feel the age and they are a little bit slow a little bit cumbersome you do enjoy it. it's a perfect dark is a great example mm. where it's a great storyline but it's a bit slow like Banjo-Kazooie as well 100% that was really hard to play when I picked it up again on the rare replay right because we're used to I guess quicker more responsive inputs mm. there's no lag there's no delay and the delay if there is one it's going to be with the graphics. Well, you don't have that today. And so your games, your interaction is very, very different now than it it was then. And of course, then you've got, you know, the popular culture stuff, the music you say, Dan, what you're watching on TV, um, 
you know, what's going on in the world, your social life, all those things kind of make that experience. Yeah, for sure. And now we're paying taxes and some of us got kids or we've got jobs and we've got this and chores and yeah, it's not the same. No. But in this episode, we talk about all the great stuff. So the Amstrad, the tapes. The hand-me-downs. The hand-me-downs. I mean, that's how I got into it. Same. Um, I talk about, um, uh, I believe, the, the Master System, Sega Master System, and then talking about the GameCube, the N64, yeah. the Sega Saturn. You know, th- these are things that people actually pay lots of money for, ironically now. Mm. All those things, from where we're recording, Dan, they're upstairs in a box. Oh, You can't have them. But hopefully they're they're in roughly working order. But these things are worth keeping hold of. But we talk yeah. about all these things. Our favourite games on them, and you know some of the stories that you just mentioned, Dan. Some of the nostalgia. It's all in this episode, and I had a lot of fun doing this. We did a volume two, didn't we? I think we did sort of, didn't we? Yeah. Um, it wasn't well, it's was a spiritual successor? Yeah, I think it was more like current gaming. Yeah. Um, but this one is is really good. So if if some of the things we reeled off, you don't recognise it. Even this episode's going to be for you because you'll be like, oh, what's what's an Amstrad? What's mm. a Dreamcast? What's a Sega Saturn? Makes me feel really old. What is a Spectrum? Yeah. Um. Damn. Well, why were you playing Rainbow Island? Exactly. It was a good game. Fight me. Yeah. Well, no. Not not literally. Don't yeah. fight me. Um. I'll probably lose. Possibly. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's a really good episode. We hope you enjoy it. It's a very special uh, vault episode. Shall we um, shoot us into it? Let's do it. Hello, Radsters, and welcome to another episode of the Weekly Roundup with Alex and Dan. As ever, I am Dan, and I'm still Alex. He's still Alex. I am. So today we're going to be talking about something that's particularly big or was part of our generation especially growing up which is gaming yep still important to us now actually yeah I mean I still game on my mobile phone and this is how big gaming is now you can do it on various levels of mobile phones consoles it's it's good fun it's big business um, but I guess to, to kind of understand where we've we've, we've come from we're going to be um, indulging you, listener, in a little bit of nostalgia, a bit of, you know, go down memory lane, um, and perhaps educating the, uh, the millennials of, uh, of the audience, because there'll be some concepts of game playing that perhaps people aren't quite aware of. So um, I guess with that in mind, Dan, where did you start off with? Because I think we've, we've shared very similar kind of uh, gaming paths, but um, how, how, when did you kick off your... Uh, your first gaming experience? Mine was around 1992, uh, and I can remember one of my parents' friends passing down a ZX Spectrum. Now, for any of our younger listeners that are listening and tuning in, uh, to describe what the Spectrum looked like, it was a, a keyboard with a onboard cassette player. I, just, I remember this thing taking ages to load. It was like a cassette tape. You put it in, you'd wait 10 minutes just for the thing to load, but... It was great. I mean, I was able to play games like Paperboy and Rainbow Island. Well, it's, it's, it's strange and interesting that you say that because I got a hand-me-down from my cousins. So they were, at this point, then on a SNES, I think it was. Um, and I was given the Amstrad. The oh, Amstrad yeah. um, CPC. Again, tape-fed. And what you used to have to do, and this is now quite unheard of these days, even loading screens now, they're, they're 
they're non-existent in modern games to some extent. They're loads in the background. Um, is you, what you do is, you, as, as Dan, you said, you, you, you load the tape in and it has to go away and you come back half an hour later. But from the Amstrad, I'm not sure if it's like the same for your Spectrum, um, but the game may not load. Yeah, yeah, no, I had that same problem. So you'd, you'd be waiting half an hour, listener, and it, you may come back and there may be an error. Or the game might be at the start screen. Or you'd have a black screen. You may never actually come to the point where you could play those games. And that was just the way it was back in 91, 92, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, and then I had a bit of a game changer. A bit later on that year for Christmas, I was... You were a lucky system. boy from the sounds of it. I was given a Master System. Yeah. Um, I had Sonic the Hedgehog built in on boards. And I loved Sonic, especially, sort of growing up. And then a few late, a few years later on, just after my brother was born, I was given a Mega Drive and, again, playing the Sonic games, Sonic 2, Sonic 3, Sonic and Knuckles. So just out of interest, Dan, were you given the Mega Drive because it was a condolence, because you had a, a little brother now to, to steal your presence? Was that perhaps... But I, yeah, <laughs> I reckon it was probably that. Yeah, right, here reason. you go. We're not going to give you that much attention now. Is, is we, a... still, we still care about you, but there's now another person in the family that you know, we need to, to give attention to. Yeah. So here's, this, here's this computer game to keep you quiet. Um, but I mean, interestingly, again, like as we sort of get further into this episode, my brother sort of became a part of my gaming yeah. growing up. And I say we'll get into that a bit later on. And the three games that I'll be mentioning a bit later on will be the games that also changed his gaming life. Right. And he ended up playing. So it's... it's a great way to sort of bond, essentially. And he was your player two to your player one. Well, he spent more time watching me play them. Um, and that's the, just the way it sort of was, really. The it? early day Twitch, I guess. Real uh, IRL Twitch, yeah. wasn't it? Streaming, streaming games these days is, is big big business, but you didn't have that back, no. <laughs> back in the 90s. You had someone come around your house to watch you play a game. <laughs> and then you used to hand over the controller. So um, that was... Uh, yeah, that was quite an interesting time. I mean, for me, very, very similar. Um, and you were here, though, over the last episodes, actually. We are learning more about ourselves as individuals, as, as you are, um, listener. And I had a Sega Master System. Yeah. But it was secondhand. So um, I, I got it for, I think it was about £60 at the time, which is roughly about 120 in our money these days. Yeah. So, it it wasn't loads of money, but it wasn't cheap as a as a seven year old. I mean, even the games were quite expensive. I remember rightly growing yeah, up. Yeah, They're yeah, About twenty, twenty, twenty-five. 25 yeah. Um, and again, sort of again, sort of coming to the modern days, that probably equates to double that price. Most definitely. So, I think that's at least one thing which we have in common with modern gamers is the price is still extortionate. But anyway, um, yeah, I had a master system, um, and then I what I will then talk about is um, the game Game Boy. The original yeah. Game Boy, the grey one. I think we've all had one of those. I had a, the yellow brick, essentially. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I had the Game Boy, which I loved. And then I then um, went on to the um, Sega Saturn. Yep. Which was uh, Sega's last real ditch at trying to keep within the console market. It sort of had a bit of a blip, didn't it, the Saturn, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Just did the Dreamcast come after that? Dream. I think Dreamcast was either slightly before or just after. Um I don't think they time their releases very well, and you're either one or the other. So you had people still stuck to the console, but actually competing within that kind of market, which was quite strange. Yeah, um, a concept. And then I went on to the Nintendo 64. Well, well, I'll, I'll stop um, waxing lyrical on my uh, on my past. But um, yeah, I first started off with a tape-fed um, gaming, and I think the one game which really stuck out for me 
or the one I could actually end up playing and loading <laughs> when, it, when it decided to load. Um, it was called um, Harrier Attack. Now, this is a very simple game. There was two, tell like three real colours to, to, to be going on with. Green was the ground. Yeah. Blue was the sky. And then a couple of dots, the pixels, were the planes or the boats. Yeah. Uh, very, very simple controllers, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Up and down, after you take off from your, your, your aircraft carrier, up and down, and left and right is your speed. And the space bar was either your bombs or was your, your missiles. And that was it. Wow. This was literally uh, 8-bit gaming at its best. This was the 80s, 90s equivalent of Call of Duty then? Probably, most definitely. <laughs> um, and there's no save function. So every single time you, you load up that tape, you are expected to, to replay that game over and over again. I mean, until cartridges were introduced, we never really had the, the save function. I mean, no. some cartridge games back then, you could save your game. Yeah. I mean, I especially remember that in Sonic 3 and Sonic and & Knuckles. Yes, you could save the stages, couldn't you? Not necessarily yeah. in-game, but the beginning of that level you could, I think. And again, sort of going back to the N64, they, although they had memory cards, they still seemed quite redundant because, again, that cartridge had that save function, yeah. especially in GoldenEye. Yes, which we'll, uh, we'll come on to a little bit later on. I guess that features on both our lists, right? Mine isn't. I perhaps left oh. it off because I thought you, you might want to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, that was, I think, my first real... Um, entry into to the gaming world on um, on my tape fed tape fed machine. But what what was yours, Dan, in, in back in the day in your old tape fed? What was your uh, favourite? I loved Rainbow Island. Yeah. Essentially, it was it was a very colourful game back then, from what I can remember. And you're shooting rainbows at your villains to to destroy them and. You'd had to use them to sort of make platforms as well, which was quite cool. Oh, okay. So you said it's a side scroller. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just remember the one of the bosses. I think it was the first boss. Is this massive spider, and you had like six or eight platforms on either side, and you had to sort of jump around trying to kill it with your rainbows. Sounds magical. Yeah, and then there was Paperboy, where you literally like just you be going up a road. You it's either left or right, and you use a button just to throw right, papers. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get your points from smashing windows and plant pots. Not really? for successfully landing a, a paper on someone's door no. doorstep. It was actually destructive. Destructive. Okay, sounds like my type of game. But yeah, um, that was that was my childhood up until again the Master System and Sonic the Hedgehog. So was Sonic, I guess, your defining game on that console? Yeah, I mean, I ended up loving Sonic for years, and I say when I got to Sonic Three and Sonic and Knuckles, where you could interlink the cartridges and make the game bigger, that was probably the game changer for me. And then a little bit later on, I ended up getting a SNES. All right, yeah. I started playing Mario, Mario Two, Mario Three, and then this one will feature on my list shortly, which is Super Mario World. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then. It was a bit like Marvel vs DC or even Nintendo, yeah. Sega, Sonic or Mario. I loved both. You weren't, you know, choosy? No, no, not at all. I'm not a fussy person. Fair play. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're all fantastic characters and franchises. I mean, for me, the Sega Masters, I mean, I had, um, I had Sonic. Um, I had all the ones you'd expect. But the one that really stood out for me when I first started to, to research this podcast was Lemmings. I remember Lemmings. There we go, see, there's a smile on your face, Dan. Yeah. So, for those who don't know um, much about Lemmings, um, we'll talk about the fictional blue-haired, um, uh, green-haired, um, identically-dressed 
um, little minions and they'd be walking around the screen and the idea is you'd have to get from one part of the map to the other. I remember this. I really struggled with this game. It's, it, it, it was the first one where you got to, got to use your grey matter to try and understand how you can get as many of your little people from one side of the map to the other without meeting their demise. So um, certain lemmings would be able to stop others from walking past. They'd be called the, the blockers, I think, or the holders. There'd be ones which could dig, so dig holes. Yep. So if you're on a different level and you've got to dig through you know, the earth or a platform, they could do that. There's some which could create and build like bridges. So if there was massive gaps, get a couple of them to start building bridges to, to help the, the rest of their colleagues. Do I recall one having an umbrella where you could float down? Could float down. Yeah, I um, But you could only use them a certain amount of times. Yeah. So if you had quite a large gap and you hadn't built perhaps a bridge going downwards, uh, and you only had, say, four, four umbrellas, you could only get four lemmings safely home because the other ones were splat. Yeah. So it really was, your, you know, your, your strategy thinking game. Um, and they spend hours, again, just going through those levels. The good thing is, though, they gave you a special code. So there's no save function. But after you complete each of the levels, um, you're given the code so that you don't have to replay it over and over again. Um, and I absolutely adored that game. But if you Google it now on YouTube, we'll, we'll give you some links um, to some reputable channels. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's very low res. Um, and perhaps I had rose or have rose tinted glass when I think back on it now. But um, it was a really, really good game. And it challenged you. Something different to the other ones I played previously. So, um, I'm now going to talk about Super Mario World. So this was probably one of the biggest game changers for me playing games. And this was the first game I can remember playing where it was like bigger and brighter than some of the games I played before. Like I'm sort of talking bigger than Sonic the Hedgehog. No, it can't be bigger than Sonic. Yeah, I mean this had so many worlds and so many different levels uh, it just oozed charm and it was creative and it was challenging like it was something that put my little brain as a nine year old to the test and I just loved it as an introduction as well for Yoshi so this was the first time we'd ever seen our favourite little dinosaur uh-huh. and I can just remember like there was new mechanics as well so you could get Mario to jump and spin where he would like break through ground and mm-hmm. blocks which was cool and there were new power-ups like capes. So if you ever played, yes. yeah, if you ever yeah, played yeah. Super Mario 3, he was the raccoon where he could fly. So you'd headbutt a block and then that block would then... Churn out like a feather or yeah. a flower. The flower we know where you can throw your fireballs, but the, the feather of was Of course it cape. does. You pick up a flower and you can then spit fireballs at people. Yeah. That's, lot, that's lots of cool. It was probably the first time I can remember there being like a map as well on a, on a game. Not your open world like we know now, like Skyrim yeah. and, and such. But it had seven worlds, and you had to battle Bowser's minions, essentially, on each different castle to get to him to save Princess Toadstool. Uh-huh. Now, I can remember this game having several secret exits. So I think there was 96 in total. Oh, um, wow. And if listeners, you have played this game, please correct me if I'm wrong. But you'd find like a just a random keyhole, just in the sky or something and you'd have to find the key to get out of it Okay, and it would take you a different path on the map so it gives you further replayability I guess yeah I mean I never got all 96 exits all the secret routes but I know looking and researching this there have been a few and it was it's the thing to do apparently you, but you'd spend forever trying to do it huh and I was on the SNES do you say yeah, it was on the SNES, and I think you can still get it now, on, like on the Switch and all the other. Oh yeah, platforms. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, 
I mean, for me, um, sticking around the same kind of time frame, as I mentioned before, I had my first handheld console, Game Boy. Um, it was a, it was a brick. If you hit someone with that, and I think I did drop it on my sister's head a couple of times before, <laughs> um, it'll do serious damage. Is that sibling abuse? Um, on the record, no. But off the record, it might have been used in anger. But either way, um, when it wasn't being used in anger, it was a um, it was a gaming device. And uh, again, cartridge fed. Yeah. So you load the cartridges in the back. They were grey. They come in quite lovely plastic boxes adorned with the artwork. So um, they were, I think, a little bit cheaper than usual Master System esque yeah. um, games. But nonetheless, you know, it was it was big money and. Uh, and yeah, you used to put in your, your AAA batteries, probably about six of them. You may get two and a half hours worth of gaming, but they were a joy. And the one, the one game that really sticks out for me is um, a game called James Pond. I remember this. Wasn't he like a frog or something? Uh, he was a, I think he was a cod or a fish. That was it. So it was a side-scroller, first of all. Um, and it's only really in, in two-tone colour. So Game Boy, the original at least, was non-colour. Of course, it was it was Game just Boy Color. like a black on back yeah, the back of the screen. Wasn't greeny, it? black, grey with shades of grey to, to, to depict certain backgrounds. Um, uh, and the Game Boy, actually, a little bit of fact here, it sold at the time over 118 million units worldwide. That's impressive. Like, so I remember having Massive. the yellow one. The yellow one. And one of the games I remember playing on that was Pokemon. Yep. Um, I'd say we've had a few good reactions to what our, our listeners have been playing in the past and uh, there's a hilarious one from our friend Joey at Casey Design and we'll get to that once we finish doing our games okay, well I'm looking forward to, to hearing what our listeners have to say but I mean for me James Pond was um, was amazing I mean again no no save function so if you've run out of lives that's it ladies and gentlemen you have to start again which can that's be quite, brutal quite infuriating um the whole idea is that uh, it was based on James Bond, of course, James yeah. Bond, and the uh, the supervillain named Doctor Maybe, of course, supposed to be Doctor No, Doctor No, um, who apparently has overtaken or had overtaken a ruthless mega corporation, Acme Oil Company, uh, and was filling the oceans with radiation toxic waste. Always sounds dodgy, which is always bad for um, ocean dwelling animals, uh, and of course, um, James Bond was uh, was tasked with with taking him down. And that's basically the premise. So you go through stages, as you do expect with an end boss, and you go go through different types of levels, almost like your Sonic Fair. Um, and I think that was my first introduction to sore thumbs. So you know you're, you're <laughs> tapping away so furiously at that end boss level that you end up getting little little blister, little blisters on the inside of your thumbs. Um, but that that game is is fantastic, and again, I, I researched this for uh, for this episode, and there's someone's actually done a playthrough. I think it's an hour or an hour and ten minute, you know, full run through of, yeah. of the game. I'll link it in there just so you can kind of envisage about just how uh, um, you know limited our childhood gaming experience was. But yeah, that I have fond memories of that game just because I spent hours upon hours trying to beat it, um, and it's a very simple concept of a game. Yeah. So the next one up for me, I was actually introduced before I had a PlayStation um, from one of my best friends, and it was sort of late 1997, and I think if I remember rightly, it was Boxing Day, he invited me over to his house, like, I've got this game, and um, I know you're not a massive fan of this franchise yourself, no. um, but it was Final Fantasy VII, okay. 
Now, I fell in love with this game because the cinematics were incredible. Like, I remember just sitting there for a couple of days watching him play this game. I was like, I love this. Like, for the PlayStation? This was for the PlayStation, yeah, yeah PlayStation 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I didn't get a PlayStation 1 until, like, a few months after being introduced to this game. But this was one of the first games I bought for very obvious reasons, for, for loving it. Yeah. And this is the first time I can remember it being an open map on a game. But you, you sort of start the game off in a city called Midgar which is like just this sort of floating I don't want to say a floating city but it's like on like a pedestal and such you've got like the slums underneath and oh. it was it was it's a strange game and it doesn't necessarily take itself too seriously um, it takes you on a wild adventure so you can go from things like snowboarding to learning choreography for a marching military band how niche very niche and I <laughs> One of the funny points that sort of stands out for me is meeting seedy men in a brothel. So, Which you'd later do uh, in your adult life. Not me as such. <laughs> um, imagine me on Guildhall Square in uh, female clothes, which is essentially what you do with your main character, Cloud. Oh, right. Um, but you do meet him. He's the first guy. You, he's your main character. Yeah. And he's always the one you sort of guide around. And he's jumping off this train and he embarks through the through the city Midgar with some fugitives blowing up reactors to stop it from polluting the earth or the world you're set in. Um, it was also one of the first games that challenges loss. So one of your key party is killed off. And it was for me it was heartbreaking. Oh, right. like, I felt challenged mentally at the tender age of thirteen, like, hang on, what? Because that doesn't that doesn't really happen, um, you know, in games up to that point. You know, if if they die, they they come back. You know, you press the uh, the use life button or you re restart the console and yeah, and they're they're back again. You, I mean, it's still quite unheard of now. It's not common to happen, especially in role playing games like this. No, I mean the only ones that really come to mind is Mass Effect, um, where you can choose a couple of times. You know, the fates of of. Uh, of the non-playable characters, but yeah, you're right. It's it's not really um, a concept that's used that's utilised often. No. So, especially back in the days, you know, was that late nineties? Yes, yeah. this is ninety-seven. Yeah, and it's still a much loved game now, as I'll sort of get into shortly. But you're not sort of just blowing things up, essentially. Like the no. the story becomes a lot vaster before you leave Midgard into your wide world, and you end up chasing the main villain Sephiroth and his weird alien mother Genova around the world. Uh, and they're trying to summon this mutual just to destroy this this world you're in. Um, as far as sequels go, um, they did make a film out of it. Yeah, I understand. It wasn't uh, it wasn't particularly well received. No, it's just one of those things that isn't necessarily needed. Um, but sort of heading now into 2019, 2020, they are anticipating a remake of this game because okay. it's so well loved. Now, something that hasn't been well received is the whole game isn't going to be on one disc. They're going to break it up. Right. Which I don't know how I feel about this. I'm just going to stick to the original, I think. I love that game. So the future remains uncertain for uh, for Final Fantasy, but nonetheless, the older games um, are loved by people across the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I say the franchise, for me... I. There were certain games I didn't love, but Final Fantasy X as well was particularly a standout one for me for mm. these guys. Okay. Well, I mean, keeping with that time frame, so for me, uh, Real Detachedness, 
Proud I of a Nintendo 64. Had to be Goldeneye. Yeah. Yeah, now, absolutely. Go- Goldeneye, for me, you, you can't beat it. It is the quintessential first-person shooter. Um, and I think the awards actually speak speak for themselves. I mean, they've got BAFTA here, the BAFTAs. They've got Console Games of the Year, Best Developer Awards. Um, you know, it's quite the celebrated... Um, game of its time and you know when, when people say oh, I'm going to get my mates around to have an old school evening the next words that come out of their mouth is and we're going to play the N64 <laughs> and it's going to be Goldeneye because it's it's the first real game where you have um, four player sp- split screen yep. there's, there's no online multiplayer ladies and gentlemen this is before before that time just before but just before so you have to get your mates around and you can see what they're doing when they're walking around the screen so if you know your maps well enough you can head them off or perhaps you know, get the drop on on uh, on your mates, but um, it was modelled almost perfectly on on the film. So yeah. they had photo for the time, photorealistic facing uh, of uh, of the characters and the actors who who played those those individuals in the film. And um, yeah, for me, has got to be still the go to game if you want a first person shooter. Um, look no further, nineteen ninety seven. Um, it's got to be. It's got to be developed, you know, developed by Rare. Yeah, the yeah. the, the best game. I mean, it it at the time it sold two two point one million copies. I remember selling my PlayStation just to get an N sixty four to play this game. And um, you know that in itself just speaks volumes in terms of just how sought after it was, and um, it's still loved to this day. I remember as well, like you had to complete the game on all the different difficulties to open up two secret levels. Yep, that was a toughie. And then they had to do some of the, the, the side objectives, which are quite tough anyway, um, to then unlock certain guns. Yeah. Um, and then certain characters. Certain cheats as well, I remember it, that. Yeah, which was the uh, the paintball mode. Which paintball was quite mode, good. you could get like, double guns. Um, the tough one was invincibility, and I think you had to complete facility in like one minute something. So having a, a speed playthrough. Yeah, and like facility, ladies and gentlemen, wasn't the easiest level either. Like it was huge. If I remember right, it was big. Um, lots of Russian soldiers running around with AK-47s, poaching corners and trying to get decoders off of Doctor Doak, who literally was like on the face of every soldier as well. Yeah, and then he'd run away from you, and you got to karate chop him in the back of the neck. So if you kill him, then it's game over. As you can tell, um, we're still scarred by that, by that level. <laughs> um, but all joking aside, it's it's got to be one of my most favourite multiplayer games, but uh, first-person shooters. Didn't you ever hate the person that was ob job as well, like in the multiplayer? Whoever he was so small and like yeah. you could never shoot him. You had to like throw a timed landmine at him or something and try and blow him up. Hope for the best. But yes, an absolute quality of a gem. Um, again, sort of sticking to the N64. Now, this is one of my brother's suggestions as well, and this is Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time. Yeah, so I was going to mention that, but I thought I'd go for. Uh, I'd go for. James Bond, first of all, Goldeneye, because I thought you might bring this up. Yeah, so again, this was a game changer for the Zelda franchise, and this is the first ever 3D Zelda game, which I didn't know until writing the notes for this. Now, I can remember this game being the one where you jump backwards and forward in time to try and save Princess Zelda from the hands of Ganondorf. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, what made the game great was that you had two different links and two different Hyrules. So, for example... We had 
both the young and old Link played similarly, although each one you could have access to distinct items. Like swords or shields and things yeah, like that. Yeah, precisely, because I yeah. think, if I remember rightly, when you're young Link, when you have the big shield, you can only crouch with it on your back. Yeah, because it's too too heavy to, yeah. to walk around with. And then when you're an adult, you can just hold it in yeah. front of you, which was great. And I think, again, the young Link had the catapult, and the older Link, you had a crossbow. Yep. Which was really cool. And then, as young Link, Hyrule was peaceful, whereas older Link, this Hyrule was just in tatters. Yeah. And you've got zombies all roaming the, the map. And Hyrule Castle has been replaced by Ganondorf Citadel. And the world is awash with fear. Um, again, what made this game so good was that it was aided by brilliant narrative with an unescapable sense of dread. It was, because the time's ticking, I think, towards the, the end of the game where um, you don't have your own pace. You've got to, to, to pick things up a gear because... Um, time is running out for, for reality I, I seem to, to yeah. remember um, and I think for me the game it had had all those complex mechanisms for that time of, of gaming but then also if you throw in there you know the whole kind of button mashing ocarina song kind of challenge where you've got to try and remember what the buttons are to play the music yeah. which either does one thing or does the other and yeah, it's it, it spun its own kind of um, you know life. He's trying to remember how to play a particular song on this yeah. on this uh, this wooden instrument. It's absolutely insane as a concept. I need to remember a song to try and teleport me to a certain temple. It yeah. was just off the off the charts. Um, it also gave the impression that Link was part of something bigger than just himself. Like you get a lot of hero games like this where it's just about the hero. Yeah. But this was a lot bigger, and I think it added a lot of gravity to his journey and it emphasizes his status as a hero even further. Um, consequently, he becomes a symbol for everything that he's fighting for, and it is literally a proper good story of good versus evil. Yep, a lot of hard work's been put into it because, um, as I said, you know, Dan, you've got these side quests. You can, I don't know, um, ride your horse across Hyrule. Which a is pona, yeah. yeah. Um, to, to participate in races or you can go and fish so take time out and just sit by a lake and fish you know I remember those days just you could spend just... hours just literally just doing absolutely nothing that progressed the storyline just um, just mucking around and a lot of time and effort went into making that game because it was expansive yeah I mean it's, it's got a lovable supporting cast as well and you know you've got Link who puts his faith into strangers that help him along the way in his quest and it was multicultural as well. Like this is the first game I can remember where you had different creatures along the way. You had like the Kokiri, which is what essentially Link was yes. in the forest. You had the Gorons, the rock-eating monsters in the in the mountains. And um, you had the fish creatures called the Zoras, and then you had the Sheikas and the Gerudos. I want to call them good pronunciation there in in the deserts, yep. which was really cool. And it, I just think it revolutionised the way that. 3D action adventures were thought about especially the combat system like I can remember you had to lock onto an enemy and you'd be able to sort of circle it and like hack at it with your sword yeah um, also again going back to the soundtrack just oh, fantastic second to none second, second to none, none. you yeah. can find this on YouTube and it was notably paid homage to by ZREO Zelda Reorchestrated so check it out it's wonderful we'll pop a link in the uh, description below Yes. But that's it for my games. And 
that's it for mine. But you, the listener, we I mean we put out a couple of posts on on all all platforms, didn't we? Yeah. Um, we've got a couple of emails to read out as well. But do you want, do you want to have a pick of? Uh, a couple of comments, Dan. I'm going to go through Facebook first. Go so our friend Joey at Casey Design. Ah, hello, um, Joey. He once beat the Elite Four on Pokemon with a level 100 Diglett. Just saying. Um, again, my is, brother. Is that good? I'd say that's impressive, especially for a little ground Pokemon, which okay. was quite pathetic. Well done, Joey. Impressive. Yeah. Impressive feat. Um, my brother again sort of chimed in, and he was. To just, just being nostalgic about watching me play the three games that I've just talked about yeah and Goldeneye again of course this is one of the games he picked up and he now is a PC gamer which is apparently the the console to have oh right I don't, I don't know I mean I don't know about my consoles anymore um, we've got Chris Evans um, he not the Chris Evans not the Chris Evans. But a Chris Evans. The Chris Evans. Oh, Evans. Evans, oh, right. yeah. Not the ginger guy with the glasses. No, sadly not. Okay. Um, but I think Chris is more of a legend than him anyway. Yeah, he'll do. Um, so he talks about Super Mario 64, which I loved as a game. Uh-huh. This was so good. And he also enjoyed playing Metal Gear Solid 2 on the PS2, which was quite fun, but he said it was a damn thing hard to finish. We've got one of my former colleagues, Jareth. All right. Um, Shout out to Jareth. Playing Donkey Kong Country 1 and 2 on the SNES, and it had the best soundtrack that he can recall. And again, talking about um, what have we got? Rock Band. Right, yeah, so, so again, this is where you plug in the peripheral. The, the guitar with four or five buttons, yep. and you had to sort of play along to the tracks uh-huh. as the buttons came up on the screen, which was quite cool. Like, my brother had Rock Band, and I think I preferred playing the drums. I had Guitar Hero, which I think they, again, you either one or the other, weren't you, in terms yeah. of the games? They're very, very similar. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, they're really good games. And then we've got the final one from Mr. Steelwell, who enjoyed playing the Italian job on the original PlayStation. Uh-huh. Banging around Italy in old Mini Coopers was just amazing. Never played this game, unfortunately, but... I might try and give it a go at some point. Yeah, try and download it. I'm sure someone will be... Uh, be able to, to help you out there but that's it for our Facebook listeners well for a couple of emails so we've got Keir now Keir's telling us um, that one of the, the earliest and fondest memories is of um, um, their mum helping them complete the water temple on Ocarina of Time to Zelda oh that was an absolute nightmare to play that temple um, nightmare so um, you know it's bad times when you've got to get a parent to help you out um, but uh, apparently the favourite games growing up were the classic Pez of 2006 yeah. which apparently is the best football game ever made Kier says I would agree on that ok I don't think I've ever played it it was very enjoyable again you're either enjoyable. a Pez or a, a FIFA fan it was at a point where FIFA had slumped and Pez was just, just hit like it's it peaks you tend to find that's usually how it works between those two um, and Goldeneye and the 64 uh, and they say just because it was the only game which had the console at the time and the game that they spent the most of their childhood playing Halo 2. Um, also, we had a couple of responses on Twitter. Oh, right, cool. Um, so we had a podcast get back to us called Fill Me Up. Ah, shout out to that podcast. Um, these guys loved playing The Simpsons Hit and Run on the PS2. Um, ah. It was challenging, it was fun, it was funny, but it wasn't too difficult, so it was just an enjoyable Wasn't that The Simpsons' take on Crazy Taxi? Yes, 
Yeah, precisely. So you have uh, Simpsons characters in, in wacky vehicles, but you've got to take characters from one point to another and they, they pay you. Yeah. And the more wackier the way to get there, the more money you get, I think, is a good Yeah, it was something like that. Okay. And we got a classic here. Um, so shout out to John Smithstad. Smithstad. Please correct me if we're wrong. Uh, Myth Pac-Man. So Pac-Man. Oh, yes. Pac-Man was a classic where you go around the little tunnels... Yeah, eating um, blobs and then ghosts and and trying to not be eaten by those ghosts. Um, John is also part of the Quick Flick Critic blog blog spot, I believe. So shout out to him. All right. Well, thanks Um, for getting in touch, guys. I mean, uh, I just got a couple, one more email um, to cover off. Uh, This is from Stephanie. So Stephanie, we've got, I think... I corrected her early ones via you, Dan. Nine paragraphs, is it? Of was it nine? Of, she told me it was only going to be seven. We've got quite a few paragraphs of text here in this um, in this email. Reading it out won't do it justice, but she's she's talking about Final Fantasy VIII. Oh, okay. Um, it's her most favourite game of all time, even though she never actually finished it. Apparently, there was a glitch on the second disc where the game would freeze, and she used to try two different discs, and both had the same problem. I had that problem, which. If you think these days, that's that's manufacturing fault, and you'd be going back and getting your money back. But yeah. in those days, I mean, I can't tell you how many discs I went through, even latter times of my um, my Xbox 360. I had to buy Gears of War three times because the Xbox kept on chipping away Cheering physically it. at the disc. It was a nightmare. Um, these things still happen either to to this date. But yeah, she um, she says she uh, tried a couple of years ago to start the game again on PlayStation Three. It's for sale through the PlayStation Store. Yep. Um, she decided that this time she'll finish it. And apparently, after starting playing, the PlayStation broke. It seems like this used to be a curse of Final Fantasy VIII, Stephanie. Oh. Um, she had to go. It had to be going. Uh, had to be sent away to be repaired. And everything on the hard drive was lost. Oh, that's savage. So she she, she said that it took this last attempt as a sign that maybe she was not supposed to finish the game, and she made peace with it. Although she thinks she prefers not knowing how the game ends anyway. Hmm. So uh, that's an interesting insight there about um, the trials and tribulations of gaming. Um, and perhaps Stephanie never will actually know how that game ends and will never experience the glory of Final Fantasy VIII. I never its, did. And its final end credit scene. If it makes her feel better, I never found out either. Again, I had the same issue. Um, again, going back to the games, I can remember if you put a slight scratch on a PlayStation disc, that was it, you were game screwed. Over. Never, never going to load that again. No. Never to be, uh, never to be played um, once more. So um, that was our uh, our gaming nostalgia, our trip through memory lane. Um, thank you for everyone that uh, that wrote in. We had quite a few there. Um, please do continue to share your thoughts. Um, you know, do you disagree with what we said? Is there anything to add? Do you share our thoughts? Um, have you had any other wacky left field kind of um, computer consoles that perhaps is even stranger than tape fed? Um, Amstrad's eight, and Spectrums 8-bit um, gaming um, get in contact with us we'll link all the uh, details uh, in the description below but we've got emails social media um, you name it Dan and I are monitoring so please do get in contact with us but um, thanks again for um, uh, you know great insights and, and sharing your uh, your nostalgia uh, and for another week I've been Alex and I've been Dan and we'll see you next week Peace.
Hello and welcome to another episode of On The Topic. This week I'm grabbing my cassette player and my old crusty wired controllers. I'm Alex. Oh, grim. Uh, and I'm dragging out the, the Spectrum out of the vault, putting the cassette tape in and waiting 30 minutes for it to load. And this week... Who are you? Who am I? We haven't introduced yourself. Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, God. 